fifth division of human all too human a book for free spirits by frederick nietzsche translated by helen zimmern this librivox recording is in the public domain fifth division the signs of higher and lower culture part two two fifty six action and not knowledge exercised by science the value of strictly pursuing science for a time does not lie precisely in its results for these in proportion to the ocean of what is worth knowing are but an infinitesimally small drop but it gives an additional energy decisiveness and toughness of endurance it teaches how to attain an aim suitably in so far it is very valuable with a view to all that is done later on to have once been a scientific man two fifty seven the youthful charm of science the search for truth still retains the charm of being in strong contrast to grey and now tiresome error but this charm is gradually disappearing it is true we still live in the youthful age of science and are accustomed to follow truth as a lovely girl but how will it be when one day she becomes an elderly ill-tempered-looking woman in almost all sciences the fundamental knowledge is either found in earliest times or is still being sought what a different attraction this exerts compared to that time when everything essential has been found and there only remains for the seeker a scanty gleaning which sensation may be learnt in several historical disciplines two fifty eight the statue of humanity the genius of culture fares as did cellini when his statue of perseus was being cast the molten mass threatened to run short but it had to suffice so he flung in his plates and dishes and whatever else his hands fell upon in the same way genius flings in errors vices hopes ravings and other things of baser as well as of nobler metal for the statue of humanity must emerge and be finished what does it matter if commoner material is used here and there two fifty nine a male culture the greek culture of the classic age is a male culture as far as women are concerned pericles expresses everything in the funeral speech they are best when they are as little spoken of as possible amongst men the erotic relation of men to youths was the necessary and sole preparation to a degree unattainable to our comprehension of all manly education pretty much as for a long time all higher education of women was only attainable through love and marriage all idealism of the strength of the greek nature threw itself into that relation and it is probable that never since have young men been treated so attentively so lovingly so entirely with a view to their welfare whereas as in the fifth and sixth centuries b c according to the beautiful saying of hurldrlin den liebend gibt der sterblicke vom besten the higher the light in which this relation was regarded the lower sank intercourse with woman nothing else was taken into consideration than the production of children and lust there was no intellectual intercourse not even real love-making if it be further remembered that women were even excluded from contests and spectacles of every description there only remained the religious cults as their sole higher occupation for although in the tragedies electra and antigone were represented 
this was only tolerated in art but not liked in real life just as now we cannot endure anything pathetic in life but like it in art the women had no other mission than to produce beautiful strong bodies in which the father's character lived on as unbrokenly as possible and therewith to counteract the increasing nerve tension of such a highly developed culture this kept the greek culture young for a relatively long time for in the greek mothers the greek genius always returned to nature two sixty the prejudice in favour of greatness it is clear that men overvalue everything great and prominent this arises from the conscious or unconscious idea that they deem it very useful when one person throws all his strength into one thing and makes himself into a monstrous organ assuredly an equal development of all his powers is more useful and happier for man for every talent is a vampire which sucks blood and strength from other powers and an exaggerated production can drive the most gifted almost to madness within the circle of the arts too extreme natures excite far too much attention but a much lower culture is necessary to be captivated by them men submit from habit to everything that seeks power two sixty one the tyrants of the mind it is only where the ray of myth falls that the life of the greeks shines otherwise it is gloomy the greek philosophers are now robbing themselves of this myth is it not as if they wished to quit the sunshine for shadow and gloom yet no plant avoids the light and as a matter of fact those philosophers were only seeking a brighter sun the myth was not pure enough not shining enough for them they found this light in their knowledge in that which each of them called his truth but in those times knowledge shone with a greater glory it was still young and knew but little of all the difficulties and dangers of its path it could still hope to reach in one single bound the central point of all being and from thence to solve the riddle of the world these philosophers had a firm belief in themselves and their truth and with it they overthrew all their neighbours and predecessors each one was a warlike violent tyrant the happiness in believing themselves the possessors of truth was perhaps never greater in the world but neither were the hardness the arrogance and the tyranny and evil of such a belief they were tyrants they were that therefore which every greek wanted to be and which every one was if he was able perhaps solon alone is an exception he tells in his poems how he disdained personal tyranny but he did it for love of his works of his law-giving and to be a lawgiver is a sublimated form of tyranny parmenides also made laws pythagoras and empedocles probably did the same anaximander founded a city plato was the incarnate wish to become the greatest philosophic lawgiver and founder of states he appears to have suffered terribly over the non-fulfilment of his nature and towards his end his soul was filled with the bitterest gall the more the greek philosophers lost in power the more they suffered inwardly from this bitterness and malice when the various sects fought for their truths in the street then first were the souls of these wooers of truth completely clogged through envy and spleen the tyrannical element then raged like poison within their bodies these many petty tyrants would have liked to devour each other there survived not a single spark of love and very little joy in their own knowledge the saying that tyrants are generally murdered and that their descendants are short-lived is true also of the tyrants of the mind their history is short and violent and their after-effects break off suddenly it may be said of almost all great hellenes that they appear to have come too late 
it was thus with aeschylus with pindar with demosthenes with thucydides one generation and then it is past for ever that is the stormy and dismal element in greek history we now it is true admire the gospel of the tortoises to think historically is almost the same thing now as if in all ages history had been made according to the theory the smallest possible amount in the longest possible time oh how quickly greek history runs on since then life has never been so extravagant so unbounded i cannot persuade myself that the history of the greeks followed that natural course for which it is so celebrated they were much too variously gifted to be gradual the orderly manner of the tortoise when running a race with achilles and that is called natural development the greeks went rapidly forward but equally rapidly downwards the movement of the whole machine is so intensified that a single stone thrown amid its wheels was sufficient to break it such a stone for instance was socrates the hitherto so wonderfully regular although certainly too rapid development of the philosophical science was destroyed in one night it is no idle question whether plato had he remained free from the socratic charm would not have discovered a still higher type of the philosophic man which type is for ever lost to us we look into the ages before him as into a sculptor's workshop of such types the fifth and sixth centuries b c seemed to promise something more and higher even than they produced they stopped short at promising and announcing and yet there is hardly a greater loss than the loss of a type of a new hitherto undiscovered highest possibility of the philosophic life even of the older type the greater number are badly transmitted it seems to me that all philosophers from thales to democritus are remarkably difficult to recognize but whoever succeeds in imitating these figures walks amongst specimens of the mightiest and purest type this ability is certainly rare it was even absent in those later greeks who occupied themselves with the knowledge of the older philosophy aristotle especially hardly seems to have had eyes in his head when he stands before these great ones and thus it appears as if these splendid philosophers had lived in vain or as if they had only been intended to prepare the quarrelsome and talkative followers of the socratic schools as i have said here is a gap a break in development some great misfortune must have happened and the only statue which might have revealed the meaning and purpose of that great artistic training was either broken or unsuccessful what actually happened has remained for ever a secret of the workshop that which happened amongst the greeks namely that every great thinker who believed himself to be in possession of the absolute truth became a tyrant so that even the mental history of the greeks acquired that violent hasty and dangerous character shown by their political history this type of event was not therewith exhausted much that is similar has happened even in more modern times although gradually becoming rarer and now but seldom showing the pure naive conscience of the greek philosophers for on the whole opposition doctrines and scepticism now speak too powerfully too loudly the period of mental tyranny is past it is true that in the spheres of higher culture there must always be a supremacy but henceforth this supremacy lies in the hands of the oligarchs of the mind in spite of local and political separation they form a cohesive society whose members recognize and acknowledge each other whatever public opinion and the verdicts of review and newspaper writers who influence the masses may circulate in favor of or against them mental superiority which formerly divided and embittered nowadays generally unites 
how could the separate individuals assert themselves and swim through life on their own course against all currents if they did not see others like them living here and there under similar conditions and grasp their hands in the struggle as much against the ochlocratic character of the half-mind and half-culture as against the occasional attempts to establish a tyranny with the help of the masses oligarchs are necessary to each other they are each other's best joy they understand their signs but each is nevertheless free he fights and conquers in his place and perishes rather than submit two sixty two homer the greatest fact in greek culture remains this that homer became so early pan-hellenic all mental and human freedom to which the greeks attained is traceable to this fact at the same time it has actually been fatal to greek culture for homer levelled inasmuch as he centralized and dissolved the more serious instincts of independence from time to time there arose from the depths of hellenism an opposition to homer but he always remained victorious all great mental powers have an oppressing effect as well as a liberating one but it certainly makes a difference whether it is homer or the bible or science that tyrannizes over mankind two sixty three talents in such a highly developed humanity as the present each individual naturally has access to many talents each has an inborn talent but only in a few is that degree of toughness endurance and energy born and trained that he really becomes a talent becomes what he is that is that he discharges it in works and actions two sixty four the witty person either overvalued or undervalued unscientific but talented people value every mark of intelligence whether it be on a true or a false track above all they want the person with whom they have intercourse to entertain them with his wit to spur them on to inflame them to carry them away in seriousness and play and in any case to be a powerful amulet to protect them against boredom scientific natures on the other hand know that the gift of possessing all manner of notions should be strictly controlled by the scientific spirit it is not that which shines deludes and excites but the often insignificant truth that is the fruit which he knows how to shake down from the tree of knowledge like aristotle he is not permitted to make any distinction between the boars and the wits his daemon leads him through the desert as well as through tropical vegetation in order that he may only take pleasure in the really actual tangible truth in insignificant scholars this produces a general disdain and suspicion of cleverness and on the other hand clever people frequently have an aversion to science as have for instance almost all artists two sixty five cents in school school has no task more important than to teach strict thought cautious judgment and logical conclusions hence it must pay no attention to what hinders these operations such as religion for instance it can count on the fact that human vagueness custom and need will later on unstring the bow of all too severe thought but so long as its influence lasts it should enforce that which is the essential and distinguishing point in man sense and science the very highest power of man as goethe judges the great natural philosopher von baer thinks that the superiority of all europeans when compared to asiatics lies in the trained capability of giving reasons for that which they believe of which the latter are utterly incapable 
europe went to the school of logical and critical thought asia still fails to know how to distinguish between truth and fiction and is not conscious whether its convictions spring from individual observation and systematic thought or from imagination sense in the school has made europe what it is in the middle ages it was on the road to become once more a part and dependent of asia forfeiting therefore the scientific mind which it owed to the greeks two sixty six the undervalued effect of public school teaching the value of a public school is seldom sought in those things which are really learnt there and are carried away never to be lost but in those things which are learnt and which the pupil only acquires against his will in order to get rid of them again as soon as possible every educated person acknowledges that the reading of the classics as now practised is monstrous proceeding carried on before you people are ripe enough for it by teachers who with every word often by their appearance alone throw a mildew on a good author but therein lies the value generally unrecognized of these teachers who speak the abstract language of the higher culture which though dry and difficult to understand is yet a sort of higher gymnastics of the brain and there is value in the constant recurrence in their language of ideas artistic expressions methods and delusions which the young people hardly ever hear in the conversations of their relatives and in the street even if the pupils only hear their intellect is involuntarily trained to a scientific mode of regarding things it is not possible to emerge from this discipline entirely untouched by its abstract character and to remain a simple child of nature two sixty seven learning many languages the learning of many languages fills the memory with words instead of with facts and thoughts and this is a vessel which with every person can only contain a certain limited amount of contents therefore the learning of many languages is injurious inasmuch as it arouses a belief in possessing dexterity and as a matter of fact it lends a kind of delusive importance to social intercourse it is also indirectly injurious in that it opposes the acquirement of solid knowledge and the intention to win the respect of men in an honest way finally it is the axe which is laid to the root of a delicate sense of language in our mother tongue which thereby is incurably injured and destroyed the two nations which produce the greatest stylists the greeks and the french learn no foreign languages but as human intercourse must always grow more cosmopolitan and as for instance a good merchant in london must now be able to read and write eight languages the learning of many tongues has certainly become a necessary evil but which when finally carried to an extreme will compel mankind to find a remedy and in some far-off future there will be a new language used at first as a language of commerce then as a language of intellectual intercourse generally then for all as surely as some time or other there will be aviation why else should philology have studied the laws of languages for a whole century and have estimated the necessary the valuable and the successful portion of each separate language two sixty eight the war history of the individual in a single human life that passes through many styles of culture we find that struggle condense which would otherwise have been played out between two generations between father and son the closeness of the relationship sharpens this struggle because each party ruthlessly drags in the familiar inward nature of the other party and thus the struggle in the single individual becomes most embittered here every new phase disregards the earlier ones with cruel injustice 
and misunderstanding of their means and aims two sixty nine a quarter of an hour earlier a mark is found occasionally whose views are beyond his time but only to such an extent that he anticipates the common views of the next decade he possesses public opinion before it is public that is he has fallen into the arms of a view that deserves to be trivial a quarter of an hour sooner than other people but his fame is usually far noisier than the fame of those who are really great and prominent two seventy the art of reading every strong tendency is one-sided it approaches the aim of the straight line and like this is exclusive that is it does not touch many other aims as do weak parties and natures in their wave-like rolling to and fro it must also be forgiven to philologists that they are one-sided the restoration and keeping pure of texts besides their explanation carried on in common for hundreds of years has finally enabled the right methods to be found the whole of the middle ages was absolutely incapable of a strictly philological explanation that is of the simple desire to comprehend what an author says it was an achievement finding these methods let it not be undervalued through this all science first acquired continuity and steadiness so that the art of reading rightly which is called philology attained its summit two seventy one the art of reasoning the greatest advance that men have made lies in their acquisition of the art to reason rightly it is not so very natural as schopenhauer supposes when he says all are capable of reasoning but few of judging it is learnt late and has not yet attained supremacy false conclusion are the rule in older ages and the mythologies of all peoples their magic and their superstition their religious cult and their law are the inexhaustible sources of proof of this theory two seventy two phases of individual culture the strength and weakness of mental productiveness depend far less on inherited talents than on the accompanying amount of elasticity most educated young people of thirty turn round at this solstice of their lives and are afterwards disinclined for new mental turnings therefore for the salvation of a constantly increasing culture a new generation is immediately necessary which will not do very much either for in order to come up with the father's culture the son must exhaust almost all the inherited energy which the father himself possessed at that stage of life when his son was born with the little addition he gets further on for as here the road is being traversed for the second time progress is a little quicker in order to learn that which the father knew the son does not consume quite so much strength men of great elasticity like goethe for instance get through almost more than four generations in succession would be capable of but then they advance too quickly so that the rest of mankind only comes up with them in the next century and even then perhaps not completely because the exclusiveness of culture and the consecutiveness of development have been weakened by the frequent interruptions men catch up more quickly with the ordinary phases of intellectual culture which has been acquired in the course of history nowadays they begin to acquire culture as religiously inclined children and perhaps about their tenth year these sentiments attain to their highest point and are then changed into weakened forms pantheism whilst they draw near to science they entirely pass by god immortality and such like things but are overcome by the witchcraft of a metaphysical philosophy eventually they find even this unworthy of belief art on the contrary seems to vouchsafe more and more so that for a time metaphysics is metamorphosed and continues to exist either as a transition to art or as an artistically transfiguring temperament 
but the scientific sense grows more imperious and conducts man to natural sciences and history and particularly to the severest methods of knowledge whilst art has always a milder and less exacting meaning all this usually happens within the first thirty years of a man's life it is the recapitulation of a pensum for which humanity had laboured perhaps thirty thousand years two seventy three retrograded not left behind whoever in the present day still derives his development from religious sentiments and perhaps lives for some length of time afterwards in metaphysics and art has assuredly gone back a considerable distance and begins his race with other modern men under unfavourable conditions he apparently loses time and space but because he stays in those domains where ardour and energy are liberated and force flows continuously as a volcanic stream out of an inexhaustible source he goes forward all the more quickly as soon as he has freed himself at the right moment from those dominators his feet are winged his breast has learned quieter longer and more enduring breathing he has only retreated in order to have sufficient room to leap thus something terrible and threatening may lie in this retrograde movement two seventy four a portion of our ego as an artistic object it is a sign of superior culture consciously to retain and present a true picture of certain phases of development which commoner men live through almost thoughtlessly and then efface from the tablets of their souls this is a higher species of the painter's art which only the few understand for this it is necessary to isolate those phases artificially historical studies form the qualification for this painting for they constantly incite us in regard to a portion of history a people or a human life to imagine for ourselves a quite distinct horizon of thoughts a certain strength of feelings the prominence of this or the obscurity of that herein consists the historic sense that out of given instances we can quickly reconstruct such systems of thoughts and feelings just as we can mentally reconstruct a temple out of a few pillars and remains of walls accidentally left standing the next result is that we understand our fellow-men as belonging to distinct systems and representatives of different cultures that is as necessary but as changeable and again that we can separate portions of our own development and put them down independently two seventy five cynics and epicureans the cynic recognizes the connection between the multiplied and stronger pains of the more highly cultivated man and the abundance of requirements he comprehends therefore that the multitude of opinions about what is beautiful suitable seemly and pleasing must also produce very rich sources of enjoyment but also of displeasure in accordance with this view he educates himself backwards by giving up many of these opinions and withdrawing from certain demands of culture he thereby gains a feeling of freedom and strength and gradually when habit has made his manner of life endurable his sensations of displeasure are as a matter of fact rarer and weaker than those of cultivated people and approach those of the domestic animal moreover he experiences everything with the charm of contrast and he can also scold to his heart's content so that thereby he again rises high above the sensation range of the animal the epicurean has the same point of view as the cynic there is usually only a difference of temperament between them then the epicurean makes use of his higher culture to render himself independent of prevailing opinions he raises himself above them whilst the cynic only remains negative he walks as it were in wind protected well sheltered half dark paths whilst over him in the wind the tops of the trees rustle and show him how violently agitated is the world out there 
the cynic on the contrary goes as it were naked into the rushing of the wind and hardens himself to the point of insensibility two seventy six microcosm and macrocosm of culture the best discoveries about culture man makes within himself when he finds two heterogeneous powers ruling therein supposing some one were living as much in love for the plastic arts or for music as he was carried away by the spirit of science and that he were to regard it as impossible for him to end this contradiction by the destruction of one and complete liberation of the other power there would therefore remain nothing for him to do but to erect around himself such a large edifice of culture that those two powers might both dwell within it although at different ends whilst between them there dwelt reconciling intermediary powers with predominant strength to quell in case of need the rising conflict but such an edifice of culture in the single individual will bear a great resemblance to the culture of entire periods and will afford consecutive analogical teaching concerning it for wherever the great architecture of culture manifested itself it was its mission to compel opposing powers to agree by means of an overwhelming accumulation of other less unbearable powers without thereby oppressing and fettering them two seventy seven happiness and culture we are moved at the sight of our childhood's surroundings the arbour the church with its graves the pond and the wood all this we see again with pain we are seized with pity for ourselves for what have we not passed through since then and everything here is so silent so eternal only we are so changed so moved we even find a few human beings on whom time has sharpened his teeth no more than on an oak tree peasants fishermen woodmen they are unchanged emotion and self-pity at the sight of lower culture is the sign of higher culture from which the conclusion may be drawn that happiness has certainly not been increased by it whoever wishes to reap happiness and comfort in life should always avoid higher culture two seventy eight the simile of the dance it must now be regarded as a decisive sign of great culture if some one possesses sufficient strength and flexibility to be as pure and strict in discernment as in other moments to be capable of giving poetry religion and metaphysics a hundred paces start and then feeling their force and beauty such a position amid two such different demands is very difficult for science urges the absolute supremacy of its methods and if this insistence is not yielded to there arises the other danger of a weak wavering between different impulses meanwhile to cast a glance in simile at least on a solution of this difficulty it may be remembered that dancing is not the same as a dull reeling to and fro between different impulses high culture will resemble a bold dance wherefore as has been said there is need of much strength and suppleness two seventy nine of the relieving of life a primary way of lightening life is the idealization of all its occurrences and with the help of painting we should make it quite clear to ourselves what idealizing means the painter requires that the spectator should not observe too closely or too sharply he forces him back to a certain distance from whence to make his observations he is obliged to take for granted a fixed distance of the spectator from the picture he must even suppose an equally certain amount of sharpness of eye in his spectator in such things he must on no account waver every one therefore who desires to idealize his life must not look at it too closely and must always keep his gaze at a certain distance this was a trick that goethe for instance understood two eighty aggravation as relief and vice versa 
much that makes life more difficult in certain grades of mankind serves to lighten it in a higher grade because such people have become familiar with greater aggravations of life the contrary also happens for instance religion has a double face according to whether a man looks up to it to relieve him of his burden and need or looks down upon it as upon fetters laid on him to prevent him from soaring too high into the air two eighty one the higher culture is necessarily misunderstood he who has strung his instrument with only two strings like the scholars who besides the instinct of knowledge possess only an acquired religious instinct does not understand people who can play upon more strings it lies in the nature of the higher many-stringed culture that it should always be falsely interpreted by the lower an example of this is when art appears as a disguised form of the religious people who are only religious understand even science as a searching after the religious sentiment just as deaf mutes do not know what music is unless it be visible movement two eighty two lamentation it is perhaps the advantages of our epoch that bring with them a backward movement and an occasional undervaluing of the vita contemplativa but it must be acknowledged that our time is poor in the matter of great moralists that pascal epictetus seneca and plutarch are now but little read that work and industry formerly in the following of the great goddess health sometimes appear to rage like a disease because time to think and tranquillity in thought are lacking we no longer ponder over different views but content ourselves with hating them with the enormous acceleration of life mind and eye grow accustomed to a partial and false sight and judgment and all people are like travellers whose only acquaintance with countries and nations is derived from the railway an independent and cautious attitude of knowledge is looked upon almost as a kind of madness the free spirit is brought into disrepute chiefly through scholars who miss their thoroughness and ant-like industry in his art of regarding things and would gladly banish him into one single corner of science while it has the different and higher mission of commanding the battalion rearguard of scientific and learned men from an isolated position and showing them the ways and aims of culture a song of lamentation such as that which has just been sung will probably have its own period and will cease of its own accord on a forcible return of the genius of meditation two eighty three the chief deficiency of active people active people are usually deficient in the higher activity i mean individual activity they are active as officials merchants scholars that is as a species but not as quite distinct separate and single individuals in this respect they are idle it is the misfortune of the active that their activity is almost always a little senseless for instance we must not ask the money-making banker the reason of his restless activity it is foolish the active roll as the stone rolls according to the stupidity of mechanics all mankind is divided as it was at all times and is still into slaves and freemen for whoever has not two-thirds of his day for himself is a slave be he otherwise whatever he likes statesman merchant official or scholar 
284 in favor of the idol as a sign that the value of a contemplative life has decreased scholars now vie with active people in a sort of hurried enjoyment so that they appear to value this mode of enjoying more than that which really pertains to them and which as a matter of fact is a far greater enjoyment scholars are ashamed of otium but there is one noble thing about idleness and idlers if idleness is really the beginning of all vice it finds itself therefore at least in near neighbourhood of all the virtues the idle man is still a better man than the active you do not suppose that in speaking of idleness and idlers i am alluding to you you sluggards two eighty five modern unrest modern restlessness increases towards the west so that americans look upon the inhabitants of europe as altogether peace-loving and enjoying beings whilst in reality they swarm about like wasps and bees this restlessness is so great that the higher culture cannot mature its fruits it is as if the seasons followed each other too quickly for lack of rest our civilization is turning into a new barbarism at no period have the active that is the restless been of more importance one of the necessary corrections therefore which must be undertaken in the character of humanity is to strengthen the contemplative element on a large scale but every individual who is quiet and steady in heart and head already has the right to believe that he possesses not only a good temperament but also a generally useful virtue and even fulfils a higher mission by the preservation of this virtue two eighty six to what extent the active man is lazy i believe that every one must have his own opinion about everything concerning which opinions are possible because he himself is a peculiar unique thing which assumes towards all other things a new and never hitherto existing attitude but idleness which lies at the bottom of the active man's soul prevents him from drawing water out of his own well freedom of opinion is like health both are individual and no good general conception can be set up of either of them that which is necessary for the health of one individual is the cause of disease in another and many means and ways to the freedom of the spirit are for more highly developed natures the ways and means to confinement two eighty seven censor vitae alternations of love and hatred for a long period distinguish the inward condition of a man who desires to be free in his judgment of life he does not forget and bears everything a grudge for good and evil at last when the whole tablet of his soul is written full of experiences he will not hate and despise existence neither will he love it but will regard it sometimes with a joyful sometimes with a sorrowful eye and like nature will be now in a summer and now in an autumn mood two eighty eight the secondary result whoever earnestly desires to be free will therewith and without any compulsion lose all inclination for faults and vices he will also be more rarely overcome by anger and vexation his will desires nothing more urgently than to discern 
and the means to do this that is the permanent condition in which he is best able to discern two eighty nine the value of disease the man who is bedridden often perceives that he is usually ill of his position business or society and through them has lost all self-possession he gains this piece of knowledge from the idleness to which his illness condemns him two ninety sensitiveness in the country if there are no firm quiet lines on the horizon of his life a species of mountain and forest line man's inmost will itself becomes restless inattentive and covetous as is the nature of a dweller in towns he has no happiness and confers no happiness two ninety one prudence of the free spirits free thinkers those who live by knowledge alone will soon attain the supreme aim of their life and their ultimate position towards society and state and will gladly content themselves for instance with a small post or an income that is just sufficient to enable them to live for they will arrange to live in such a manner that a great change of outward prosperity even an overthrow of the political order would not cause an overthrow of their life to all these things they devote as little energy as possible in order that with their whole accumulated strength and with a long breath they may dive into the element of knowledge thus they can hope to dive deep and be able to see the bottom such a spirit seizes only the point of an event he does not care for things in the whole breadth and prolixity of their folds for he does not wish to entangle himself in them he too knows the weekdays of restraint of dependence and servitude but from time to time there must dawn for him a sunday of liberty otherwise he could not endure life it is probable that even his love for humanity will be prudent and somewhat short-winded for he desires to meddle with the world of inclinations and of blindness only as far as is necessary for the purpose of knowledge he must trust that the genius of justice will say something for its disciple and protege if accusing voices were to call him poor in love in his mode of life and thought there is a refined heroism which scorns to offer itself to the great mob reverence as its coarser brother does and passes quietly through and out of the world whatever labyrinths it traverses beneath whatever rocks its stream has occasionally worked its way when it reaches the light it goes clearly easily and almost noiselessly on its way and lets the sunshine strike down to its very bottom two ninety two forward and thus forward upon the path of wisdom with a firm step and good confidence however you may be situated serve yourself as a source of experience throw off the displeasure at your nature forgive yourself your own individuality for in any case you have in yourself a ladder with a hundred steps upon which you can mount to knowledge the age into which with grief you feel yourself thrown thinks you happy because of this good fortune it calls out to you that you shall still have experiences which men of later ages will perhaps be obliged to forego do not despise the fact of having been religious consider fully how you have had a genuine access to art can you not with the help of these experiences follow immense stretches of former humanity 
with a clearer understanding is not that ground which sometimes displeases you so greatly that ground of clouded thought precisely the one upon which have grown many of the most glorious fruits of older civilizations you must have loved religion and art as you loved mother and nurse otherwise you cannot be wise but you must be able to see beyond them to outgrow them if you remain under their ban you do not understand them you must also be familiar with history and that cautious play with the balances on the one hand on the other hand go back treading in the footsteps made by mankind in its great and painful journey through the desert of the past and you will learn most surely whither it is that all later humanity never can or may go again and inasmuch as you wish with all your strength to see in advance how the knots of the future are tied your own life acquires the value of an instrument and means of knowledge it is within your power to see that all you have experienced trials errors faults deceptions passions your love and your hope shall be merged wholly in your aim this aim is to become a necessary chain of culture links yourself and from this necessity to draw a conclusion as to the necessity in the progress of general culture when your sight has become strong enough to see to the bottom of the dark well of your nature and your knowledge it is possible that in its mirror you may also behold the far-away visions of future civilizations do you think that such a life with such an aim is too wearisome too empty of all that is agreeable then you have still to learn that no honey is sweeter than that of knowledge and that the overhanging clouds of trouble must be to you as an udder from which you shall draw milk for your refreshment and only when old age approaches will you rightly perceive how you listen to the voice of nature that nature which rules the whole world through pleasure the same life which has its zenith in age has also its zenith in wisdom in that mild sunshine of a constant mental joyfulness you meet them both old age and wisdom upon one ridge of life it was thus intended by nature then it is time and no cause for anger that the mists of death approach towards the light is your last movement a joyful cry of knowledge is your last sound end of fifth division part two